Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. It's been a quiet week for news. That old post-Halloween, post-submission slump, I guess. But starting next week, we've got a couple of promotions coming your way that could give you something excellent to look forward to. For the next two weeks, we'll be hosting back-to-back giveaways for two of my favorite horror movies of the year. Any guesses? I won't drop any hints and spoil it for you, but I promise it's something you're not going to want to miss, so stay tuned. I mentioned our Tee Public store a couple of weeks ago, too, and I'm hard at work getting some exciting new designs uploaded there, including a special seasonal one designed by yours truly. Patrons will get a sneak peek when their swag packs arrive, but soon you'll be able to check it out for yourself. Just hit up talestoterrify.com slash merch 
to be redirected to our TeePublic store. If you haven't checked it out before, the store features a lot more than t-shirts. You can get everything from pins, stickers, and notebooks, to mugs, pillows, and even phone cases. And of course, all kinds of apparel, too. As usual, TeePublic has some great sales going on, so it's the perfect time to get a jump start on your holiday shopping. Again, that's TalesToTerrify.com slash merch. And if you do pick something up, drop us a line on our socials. I'd love to see your Tales to Terrify goodies in action. Now, what say we scratch up some terrible goodies for your ears? Our first story for the evening comes from Deirdre Coles. Deirdre Coles lives in Seattle, where she spends her time fighting crime, screaming insults at ospreys, and trying to ingratiate herself to the local crow population. All hail future overlords. Her previous work has appeared in Everyday Fiction, 365 Tomorrows, Infective Ink, Micro Horror, Free Flash Fiction, and Kazka Press Fantasy Flash Fiction. She is inspired by her children and thinks she sometimes goes too easy on the moms in her stories. If her family doesn't like it, they should write their own stories. Children of the Night, join me for Deirdre Cole's Bitch with a W, a Tales to Terrify original. Laura underscore Dara at Front Port Shorewood. I am so furious. I am shaking right now. I was just getting some exercise with my kiddos at the track on Shorewood High, since obviously the gym childcare is closed right now. And this old lady with nasty long hair, like there's a reason all the old biddies wear it short, comes over to me and yells at me about my kids riding their bikes on the track. It's really important to their mental health that they be able to get exercise. And at the track, they are safe from cars, and I can run without having to slow down for them, which is important for my mental health. And this lady was, like, up in my face. My kids were so upset. Does anyone know who she is? I almost started swearing at her, but I was afraid she might start cursing at me and my kids. Rose underscore red at Front Porch Shorewood. I had almost the same thing happen like two days ago. I was riding my bike on the boardwalk by the lake and she yelled at me. Just because you can't control her dog doesn't mean it's my fault that the dog got in my way. She started screaming that I hit her dog. Maybe its tail got a little boo-boo or something. But any dog dumb enough to jump in the way of a moving bicycle deserves to get hurt, in my humble opinion. I-M-H-O. Simone.Kelly at Front Porch Shorewood. There's a sign on the track saying no bikes allowed. It damages the track. 
and on the boardwalk saying, please walk your bike. Rose underscore red at front porch Shorewood. Gee, judgmental much, Simone? A really creative screen name, BTW. Laura's kids are little. Their weight is hardly going to damage the track that you are so concerned about. Besides, I am a taxpayer in this community, and I pay for that track and the boardwalk. In fact, I'm sure I contribute a lot more than that nasty old lady who lives in a bungalow that's like a thousand years old and has that yard that's all native plants landscaping, which I think is an excuse she came up with for never mowing her lawn. Phillips underscore head at Front Porch Shorewood. Oh man, I know this lady and her gross yard. I am a very responsible dog walker. I don't let my dog attack people on bicycles, for example. But my dog is really interested in her place. I guess he likes the way native plants smell. And when he poops there, you can't even see it and it's hard to find. And this lady screamed at me to clean up after my dog's invisible mess. Sorry, but I'm not sticking my hand in a thorn bush and getting tetanus. Also, guess what? What could be more natural than animals pooping on your lawn? I said I wouldn't charge her for the free compost and gave her the finger and went on my way. P.S. Her dog was staring at me through her front window. It made full eye contact with me and it didn't bark at all. Even when my dog was fully on its lawn, which is not normal for a dog. Gail underscore Dorothy at Front Porch Shorewood. I've had the misfortune to run into her too. My kids and I were at the playground and she walked her dog right on that path, getting in between me and my children, and gave me such a dirty look for being on my phone. Maybe I was checking my work email. Did she ever think of that? Also, it's really creepy that a single old lady would be hanging around by a playground. Parks are for families and children. I didn't know at the time that her dog was so aggressive. I'm reevaluating, and now instead of creepy, I feel like it was threatening. I think that dog might be a pit bull. Simone underscore Kelly at Front Porch Shorewood. Bailey is a black lab slash boxer, and he's perfectly friendly. I petted him a couple of times last summer. Kind of embarrassing that I don't know the owner's name, but I know the dog's name and breed. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a dog person. Also, the main path through the park goes past the playground. Tons of people walk there. Laura underscore Dara at Front Port Shorewood. I am so glad I made this post. I had no idea of the scale of this woman's behavior. Terrorizing children and creeping around playgrounds, yelling at everybody. I'm glad to know it's not just me. But I think there is plenty of evidence at this point to make a call to the council. Better safe than sorry. But I have a super busy schedule. Can anybody spare the couple of hours it would take to stay on hold with the non-emergency line? Or maybe this warrants an emergency call? Simone, BTW, you're not helping. Rose underscore red at Front Port Shorewood. Great minds think alike, Laura, because I was on the same track. And I have good news. You guys have probably heard about the new number two at the council, Lindsay Ware. She's a lot of the reason the council is actually stepping up and enforcing the old laws. 
And she just so happens to be an old sorority buddy of mine. I reached out to her, and she really wants to help us. If we are gathering testimony about this woman, here's some of the magic words, or <laughs> magic words, haha, <laughs> that Lindsay said will make sure the council pays attention. Did anyone experience harm after encountering her? For example, Gail, did your kids fall at the playground or any time in the days after? Or your kids, Laura? Or did any of the kids get sick? Has she been observed talking to herself? In between screaming threats at everybody. Has she been observed talking or writing backwards? Does her dog behave in an unnatural fashion? For example, does it make eye contact with humans? Or seem unusually receptive to complex commands by its owner? Does its appearance change? Could explain why its appearance shifted to a pit bull when it was menacing Gail's family. I think it's best if we take this offline for now, so that negative, judgmental people don't try to interfere with us doing what's best for the community. Laura, Gail, Philip, please PM me. Rose underscore red at Front Port Shorewood. Hello, friends. I'm happy to report that things are moving in a very positive direction. And I think this reign of terror in our community will soon be coming to an end. Simone Kelly, I think it's pretty crappy that you sent PMs to me and Laura without our permission, which is basically harassment. But if you're really so concerned, why don't we clear the air out here in public? No, the council is not backwards and barbaric. When they gather suspects for their final resolution, those individuals have a chance to see a therapist and a minister and plenty of time to pray and confess their sins if they wish to. Of course, some people would rather spend that time complaining and arguing. And the medication, which used to be optional, is now mandatory. Given the accused a choice of whether or not to get the injection was well-intentioned, but the council underestimated how many of them would prefer to suffer the pain of execution just so they could keep screaming abuse at the crowd up until the very minute of death. Nowadays, the accused are not conscious and don't experience any pain. But the fire and the bound hands are necessary to ensure that. In the case of a full-fledged possession, no entity is able to escape. And that's the same reason witnesses are encouraged. And of course, it's done in the town square. And that's literally the reason the town square was built in the first place and where it's always been done. Crack a history book sometimes. Life isn't all craft fairs and farmer's markets. Laura underscore Dara at Front Porch Shorewood. Also, before Simone or anyone else gets any ideas, you should know that Lindsay Ware is not playing around. In my cousin's neighborhood, they had a situation similar to ours. Some bleeding heart decided to warn the W word and give her a chance to flee, which is highly illegal interference with council business. When the accused was nowhere to be found, guess who ended up burning in her place? Once the council has made a determination, someone is going to end up on the stick. Rose underscore red at Front Port Shorewood. Well, it's been a long day, but it's over now and the blight on our community is gone. I wish I could say I was proud of all of us and the way we stood together, but unfortunately, I can't say that. Philip, you have some nerve complaining about the smell. What did you expect? 
Not that you were much help when it came to the council. And for you crybabies in the crowd, yes, the business with the dog was unfortunate. The dosage was obviously a little off. Nobody expected it to wake up or to try so hard to rouse its owner and chew through her zip ties, even once it was already on fire. And yes, the sounds it made when it finally staggered off the pyre and took off running were pitiful. But to be fair, it's hard to get the dosage right when a familiar can change its size and shape at will. We're just lucky nobody was hurt and that no houses burned down. Fortunately, the council was professional as always and prepared for every eventuality. I get that some of you were so upset to see a dog shot in the street. But would you rather have our houses burned down? Furthermore, as you all know perfectly well, it wasn't a real dog. Some of you need to put your big girl pants on and face reality. Anyway, logging off for now. I have to say, Laura and I would appreciate a little gratitude from you people after everything we've done for this community. Private message from Rose underscore Red to Laura underscore Dara. Hey, when you have a minute, we need to talk about Simone. I think she might be a witch. That was Deirdre Cole's Bitch with a W as read by Amanda Stribling. Amanda has recorded close to 150 books, give or take a chapter, and is in the industry by way of being completely obsessed with reading and audiobooks, while also having a flair and passion for performance. She has a natural southern accent, but can also take you from savvy socialite to California girl to southern belle faster than you can say, bless your heart. Thank you, Amanda. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Our second tale tonight is a classic from William Hope Hodgson. From seamanship to photography to bodybuilding, William Hope Hodgson's diversity of experiences and interests echo throughout his writing. Best known for his novels The House on the Borderland and The Nightland, Hodgson is widely considered a defining influence on modern horror. He's been celebrated for his authentic narratives on the horrors of the sea and his creation of the enduring supernatural investigator Thomas Carnacki. Hodgson's tales often explore what lies beyond the borders of human knowledge and human existence, detailing dangerous circumstances or events. Hodgson himself was not short of heroism, saving a man from shark-infested waters during his years as a sailor, as well as volunteering for what was essentially a suicide mission during the First World War. The influence of Hodgson's writings can be felt in the works of other icons of horror fiction, such as H.P. Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith, and continue to echo through the genre today. Listen with me, children of the night, to William Hope Hodgson's The Voice in the Night, first published in the November 1907 edition of The Blue Book Magazine. It was a dark, starless night. We were becalmed in the North Pacific. Our exact position I do not know, for the sun had been hidden away during the course of our weary, breathless week, by a thin haze which seemed to float above us, about the height of our mastheads, at whiles descending and shrouding the surrounding area. With there being no wind, we had steadied the tiller, and I was the only man on deck. The crew consisting of two men and a boy, were sleeping forward in their din, while Will, my friend and the master of our little craft, was aft in his bunk on the port side of the little cabin. 
Suddenly, from out of the surrounding darkness, there came a hail. Schooner, ahoy! The cry was so unexpected that I gave no immediate answer because of my surprise. It came again, a voice curiously throaty and inhuman, calling from somewhere upon the dark sea away on our port broadside. Schooner, ahoy! Hello! I sung out, having gathered my wit somewhat. What are you? What do you want? You need not be afraid, answered the queer voice, having probably noticed some trace of confusion in my tone. I am only an old man. The pause sounded odd, but it was only afterward that it came back to me with any significance. Why don't you come alongside then? I queried somewhat snappishly, for I liked not his hinting at my having been a trifle shaken. I... I... can't. It wouldn't be safe. I... The voice broke off, and there was silence. What do you mean? I asked, growing more and more astonished. What's not safe? Where are you? I listened for a moment, but there came no answer. And then, a sudden, indefinite suspicion of I knew not what coming to me, I stepped swiftly to the binnacle and took out the lighted lamp. At the same time, I knocked on the deck with my heel to awaken Will. Then I was back at the side, throwing the yellow funnel of light out into the silent immensity beyond our rail. As I did so, I heard a slight muffled cry, and then the sound of a splash, as though someone had dipped oars abruptly. Yet I cannot say with certainty that I saw anything, save it seemed to me that with the first flash of the light there had been something upon the waters, where now there was nothing. Hello there, I called. What foolery is this? But there came only the indistinct sounds of a boat being pulled away into the night. Then I heard Will's voice from the direction of the after-scuttle. What's up, George? Come here, Will, I said. What is it? He asked, coming across the deck. I told him the queer thing that had happened. He put several questions. Then, after a moment's silence, he raised his hands to his lips and hailed, Boat! Ahoy! From a long distance away, there came back to us a faint reply, and my companion repeated his call. Presently, after a short period of silence, there grew on our hearing the muffled sound of oars, at which Will hailed again. This time there was a reply. Put away the light! I'm damned if I will, I muttered, but Will told me to do as the voice bade, and I shoved it down under the bulwarks. Come nearer, he said, and the oar strokes continued. Then, when apparently some half-dozen fathoms distant, they ceased again. Come alongside, exclaimed Will. There's nothing to be frightened of aboard here. Promise that you will not show the light. What's to do with you, I burst out, that you're so infernally afraid of the light? Because began the voice, and stopped short. Because what? I asked quickly. 
Will put his hand on my shoulder. Shut up a minute, old man, he said in a low voice. Let me tackle him. He leaned more over the rail. See here, mister, he said. This is a pretty queer business, you coming upon us like this, right out in the middle of the blessed Pacific. How are we to know what sort of hanky-panky trick you're up to? You say there's only one of you. How are we to know, unless we get a squint at you, eh? What's your objection to the light, anyway? As he finished, I heard the noise of the oars again, and then the voice came, but now from a greater distance, and sounding extremely hopeless and pathetic. I'm sorry, sorry, I would not have troubled you, only I am hungry, and so is she. The voice died away, and the sound of the oars, dipping irregularly, was borne to us. Stop, sang out Will. I don't want to drive you away. Come back. We'll keep the light hidden if you don't like it. He turned to me. It's a damn queer rig, this, but I think there's nothing to be afraid of. There was a question in his tone, and I replied, No, I think the poor devil's been wrecked around here and gone crazy. The sound of the oars drew nearer. Shove that lamp back in the billicle, said Will. Then he leaned over the rail and listened. I replaced the lamp and came back to his side. The dipping of the oars ceased some dozen yards distant. Won't you come alongside now? asked Will in an even voice. I have had the lamp put back in the binnacle. I, I cannot, replied the voice. I dare not come nearer. I dare not even pay you for the, the provisions. That's all right, said Will, and hesitated. You're welcome to as much grub as you can take. Again, he hesitated. You are very good, exclaimed the voice. May God, who understands everything, reward you. It broke off huskily. The, the lady, said Will abruptly, is she... I have left her behind upon the island, came the voice. What island? I cut in. I know not its name, returned the voice. I would to God. It began and checked itself as suddenly. Could we not send a boat for her? Asked Will at this point. No, said the voice with extraordinary emphasis. My God, no. There was a moment's pause. Then it added, in a tone which seemed a merited reproach, It was because of our want I ventured, because her agony tortured me. I am a forgetful brute, exclaimed Will. Just wait a minute, whoever you are, and I will bring you up something at once. In a couple of minutes, he was back again, and his arms were full of various edibles. He paused at the rail. Can't you come alongside for them? he asked. No, I dare not, replied the voice, and it seemed to me that in its tones I detected a note of stifled craving, as though the owner hushed a mortal desire. It came to me then in a flash that the poor old creature out there in the darkness was suffering for actual need, for which Will held in his arms, and yet... 
because of some unintelligible dread refraining from dashing to the side of our schooner and receiving it. And with the lightning-like conviction there came the knowledge that the invisible was not mad, but sanely facing some intolerable horror. Damn it, Will, I said, full of many feelings, over which predominantly a vast sympathy. Get a box. We must float off the stuff to him in it. This we did, propelling it away from the vessel, out into the darkness, by means of a boat hook. In a minute, a slight cry from the invisible came to us, and we knew that he had secured the box. A little later, he called out a farewell to us, and so heartfelt a blessing that I am sure we were the better for it. Then, without more ado, we heard the ply of oars across the darkness. Pretty soon off, remarked Will, with perhaps just a little sense of injury. Wait, I replied. I think somehow he'll come back. He must have been badly needing that food. And the lady, said Will. For a moment he was silent, then continued. It's the queerest thing I've ever tumbled across since I've been fishing. Yes, I said, and fell to pondering. And so the time slipped away. An hour, another, and still Will stayed with me, for the queer adventure had knocked all desire for sleep out of him. The third hour was three parts through, when we heard again the sound of oars across the silent ocean. Listen, said Will, a low note of excitement in his voice. He's coming, just as I thought, I muttered. The dipping of the oars grew nearer, and I noted that the strokes were firmer and longer. The food had been needed. They came to a stop a little distance off the broadside, and the queer voice came again to us through the darkness. Schooner, ahoy! That you? asked Will. Yes, replied the voice. I left you suddenly, but... but there was great need. The lady? questioned Will. The lady is grateful now on earth. She will be more grateful soon in... in heaven. Will began to make some reply in a puzzled voice, but became confused and broke off short. I said nothing. I was wondering at the curious pauses, and, apart from my wonder, I was full of a great sympathy. The voice continued. We... She and I have talked as we shared the result of God's tenderness and yours. Will interposed, but without coherence. I beg of you not to, to belittle your deed of Christian charity this night, said the voice. Be sure that it has not escaped his notice. It stopped, and there was a full minute's silence. Then it came again. We have spoken together upon that which, which has befallen us. We had thought to go out without telling anyone of the terror which has come to our lives. She is with me in believing that tonight's happenings are under a special ruling and that it is God's wish that we should tell you all that we have suffered since, since... 
Yes, said Will softly. Since the sinking of the albatross. Ah, I exclaimed involuntarily. She left Newcastle for Frisco some six months ago and hasn't been heard of since. Yes, answered the voice. But some few degrees to the north of the line, she was caught in a terrible storm and dismasted. When the day came, it was found that she was leaking badly, and presently, it failing to calm, the soldiers took to the boats, leaving, leaving a young lady, my fiancé, and myself upon the wreck. We were below, gathering together a few of our belongings when they left. They were entirely callous, through fear, and when we came upon the decks, we saw them only as small shapes afar off upon the horizon. Yet we did not despair, but set to work and constructed a small raft. Upon this we put such few matters as it would hold, including a quantity of water and some ship's biscuit. Then, the vessel being very deep in the water, we got ourselves onto the raft and pushed off. It was later when I observed that we seemed to be in the way of some tide or current which bore us from the ship at an angle, so that in the course of three hours by my watch her hull became invisible to our sight. Her broken mass remained in view for a somewhat longer period. Then, towards evening, it grew misty, and so through the night. The next day we were still encompassed by the mist, the weather remaining quiet. For four days we drifted through this strange haze until, on the evening of the fourth day, there grew upon our ears the murmur of breakers at a distance. Gradually it became plainer and, somewhat after midnight, it appeared to sound upon either hand at no very great distance. The raft was raised upon a swell several times, and then we were in smooth water, and the noise of the breakers was behind. When the morning came, we found that we were in a sort of great lagoon. But of this we noticed little at the time, for close before us, through the enshrouding mist, loomed the hull of a large sailing vessel. With one accord we fell upon our knees and thanked God, for we thought that here was the end of our perils. We had much to learn. The raft drew near the ship, and we shouted on them to take us aboard, but none answered. Presently the raft touched the side of the vessel, and seeing a rope hanging downward, I seized it and began to climb. Yet I had much ado to make my way up, because of a kind of grey, lichenous fungus that had seized upon the rope, which blotched the side of the ship lividly. I reached the rail and clambered over it, on to the deck. Here I saw that the decks were covered in great patches with grey masses, some of them rising into nodules several feet in height. But at the time I thought less of this matter than of the possibility of there being people aboard the ship. I shouted, but none answered. Then I went to the door below the poop deck. I opened it and peered in. 
There was a great smell of staleness, so that I knew in a moment that nothing was living within. And, with the knowledge, I shut the door quickly, for I felt suddenly lonely. I went back to the side where I had scrambled up. My, my sweetheart was still sitting quietly upon the raft. Upon seeing me look down, she called up to know whether there were any aboard of the ship. I replied that the vessel had the appearance of having been long deserted, but that if she would wait a little, I would see whether there was anything in the shape of a ladder by which she could ascend the deck. Then we would make a search of the vessel together. A little later, on the opposite side of the decks, I found a rope-side ladder. This I carried across, and a minute afterwards she was beside me. Together we explored the cabins and apartments and in the after part of the ship, but nowhere was there any sign of life. Here and there within the cabins themselves we came across odd patches of that queer fungus, but this, as my sweetheart said, could be cleansed away. In the end, having assured ourselves that the after portion of the vessel was empty, we picked our ways to the bows between the ugly grey nodules of that strange growth, and here we made a further search, which told us that there was indeed none aboard but ourselves. This now being beyond any doubt, we returned to the stern of the ship and proceeded to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. Together we cleared out and cleaned two of the cabins, and after that I made examination whether there was anything eatable in the ship. This I soon found was so, and thanked God in my heart for his goodness. In addition to this, I discovered the whereabouts of the fresh water pump, and having fixed it, I found the water drinkable, though somewhat unpleasant to the taste. For several days we stayed aboard the ship without attempting to get to the shore. We were busily engaged in making the place habitable, yet even thus early we became aware that our lot was even less to be desired than might have been imagined. For though, as a first step, we scraped away the odd patches of growth that studded the floors and walls of the cabins and saloon, Yet they returned almost to their original size within the space of twenty-four hours, which not only discouraged us, but gave us a feeling of vague unease. Still, we would not admit ourselves beaten, so set to work afresh, and not only scraped away the fungus, but soaked the places where it had been with carbolic, a canful of which we had found in the pantry. Yet by the end of the week the growth had returned in full strength, and in addition it had spread to other places, as though our touching it had allowed germs from it to travel elsewhere. On the seventh morning my sweetheart woke to find a small patch of it growing on her pillow, close to her face. At that she came to me as soon as she could get her garments upon her, I was in the galley at the time, lighting the fire for breakfast. "'Come here, John,' she said, and led me aft. When I saw the thing upon her pillow, I shuddered. And then and there we agreed to go right out of the ship 
and see whether we could not fare to make ourselves more comfortable ashore. Hurriedly we gathered together our few belongings, and even among these I found that the fungus had been at work. For one of her shawls had a little lump of it growing near one edge. I threw the whole thing over the side without saying anything to her. The raft was still alongside, but it was too clumsy to guide, and I lowered down a small boat that hung across the stern, and in this we made our way to the shore. Yet, as we drew near it, I became gradually aware that here the vile fungus which had driven us from the ship was growing riot. In places it rose into horrible, fantastic mounds, which seemed almost to quiver as with a quiet life when the wind blew across them. Here and there it took on the odd forms of vast fingers, and in others it just spread out and smooth and treacherous. Odd places, it appeared as grotesque, stunted trees, seeming extraordinarily kinked and gnarled, the whole quaking vilely at times. At first, it seemed to us that there was no single portion of the surrounding shore which was not hidden beneath the masses of the hideous lichen. Yet, in this, I found we were mistaken. For somewhat later, coasting along the shore at a little distance, we described a smooth, white patch of what appeared to be fine sand. And there we landed. It was not sand. What it was, I do not know. All that I have observed is that upon it the fungus will not grow, while everywhere else, save for the sand-like earth, wanders oddly, pathwise, amid the grey desolation of the lichen. There is nothing but the loathsome greyness. It is difficult to make you understand how cheered we were to find one place that was absolutely free of the growth. And here we deposited our belongings. Then we went back to the ship for such things as it seemed to us we should need. Among other matters, I managed to bring ashore with me one of the ship's sails, with which I constructed two small tents, which, though exceedingly rough-shaped, served the purpose for which they were intended. In these we lived and stored our various necessities, and thus, for a matter of some four weeks, all went smoothly and without particular unhappiness. Indeed, I may say with much happiness, for, for we were together. It was on the thumb of her right hand that the growth first showed. It was only a small circular spot, much like a little grey mole. My God, how the fear leaped to my heart when she showed me the place. We cleansed it between us, washing it with carbolic and water. In the morning of the following day she showed me her hand again. The grey, warty thing had returned. For a little while we looked at one another in silence. Then, still wordless, we started again to remove it. In the midst of the operation, she spoke suddenly. What's that on the side of your face, dear? Her voice was sharp with anxiety. I put my hand up to feel. There, under the hair by your ear, a little to the front a bit, 
My finger rested upon the place, and then I knew. Let us get your thumb done first, I said, and she submitted, only because she was afraid to touch me until it was cleansed. I finished washing and disinfecting her thumb, and then she turned to my face. After it was finished, we sat together and talked a while of many things, for there had come into our lives sudden, very terrible thoughts. We were, all at once, afraid of something worse than death. We spoke of loading the boat with our provisions and water and making our way out onto the sea, yet we were helpless for many causes and and the growth had attacked us already. We decided to stay. God would do with us what was his will. We would wait. A month, two months, three months passed, and the places grew somewhat, and there had come others. Yet we fought so strenuously with the fear that its headway was but slow, comparatively speaking. Occasionally we ventured off to the ship for such stores as we needed. There we found that the fungus grew persistently. One of the nodules on the main deck soon became as high as my head. We had now given up all thought or hope of leaving the island. We had realized that it would be unallowable to go among healthy humans with the things from which we were suffering. With this determination and knowledge in our minds, we knew that we should have to husband our food and water, for we did not know at that time, but that we should possibly live for many years. This reminds me that I have told you that I am an old man. Judged by years, this is not so, but, but... He broke off, then continued somewhat abruptly. As I was saying, we knew that we should have to use care in the matter of food, but we had no idea then how little food there was left of which to take care. It was a week later that I made the discovery that all of the other bread tanks, which I had supposed full, were empty, and that beyond odd tins of vegetables and meat and some other matters, we had nothing on which to depend but the bread in the tank which I had already opened. After learning this, I bestirred myself to do what I could and set to work at fishing in the lagoon, but with no success. At this, I was somewhat inclined to feel desperate until the thought came to me to try outside the lagoon in the open sea. Here, at times, I caught odd fish, but so infrequently that they provided of but little help in keeping us from the hunger which threatened. It seemed to me that our deaths were likely to come by hunger and not by the growth of the thing which had seized upon our bodies. We were in this state of mind when the fourth month wore out. Then I made a very horrible discovery. One morning, a little before midday, I came off from the ship with a portion of the biscuits that were left. In the mouth of her tent, I saw my sweetheart sitting. 
eating something. What is it, my dear? I called out as I leaped ashore. Yet, on hearing my voice, she seemed confused, and, turning, slyly threw something toward the edge of the little clearing. It fell short, and a vague suspicion having arisen within me, I walked across and picked it up. It was a piece of the grey fungus. As I went to her with it in my hand, she turned deadly pale, then rose red. I felt strangely dazed and frightened. My dear, my dear, I said, and could say no more. Yet, at my words, she broke down and cried bitterly. Gradually, as she calmed, I got from her the news that she had tried it with the preceding day and... and liked it. I got her to promise on her knees not to touch it again. However great our hunger... After she had promised, she told me that the desire for it had come suddenly, and that, until the moment of desire, she had experienced nothing toward it but the most extreme repulsion. Later in the day, feeling strangely restless and much shaken with the thing which I had discovered, I made my way along one of the twisted paths, formed by the white, sand-like substance, which led among the fungoid growth. I had, once before, ventured along there, but not to any great distance. This time, being involved in perplexing thought, I went much farther than hitherto. Suddenly, I was called to myself by a queer, hoarse sound on my left. Turning quickly, I saw that there was movement among an extraordinarily shaped mass of fungus close to my elbow. It was swaying uneasily, as though it possessed life of its own. Abruptly, as I stared, the thought came to me that the thing had a grotesque resemblance to the figure of a distorted human figure. Even as the fancy flashed in my mind, there was a slight, sickening noise of tearing and I saw that one of the branch-like arms was detaching itself from the surrounding gray masses, coming toward me. The head of the thing, a shapeless gray ball, inclined in my direction. I stood stupidly, and the vile arm brushed across my face. I gave out a frightened cry and ran back a few paces. There was a sweetish taste upon my lips, where the thing had touched me. I licked them and was immediately filled with an inhuman desire. I turned and seized a mass of the fungus. Then more and more I was insatiable. In the midst of the devouring, the remembrance of the morning's discovery swept into my mazed brain. It was sent by God. I dashed the fragment I held to the ground then, utterly wretched and feeling a dreadful guiltiness, I made my way back to the little encampment. I think she knew, by some marvelous intuition which love must have given, so soon as she set her eyes upon me. Her quiet sympathy made it easier for me, and I told her of my sudden weakness, yet omitted the mention of the extraordinary thing which had gone before. I desired to spare her all unnecessary terror.
But for myself, I had added an intolerable knowledge to breed an incessant terror in my brain, for I doubted not but that I had seen the end of one of these men who had come to the island in the ship in the lagoon, and in that monstrous ending I had seen our own. Thereafter we kept from the abominable food, though the desire for it had entered our blood. Yet our drear punishment was upon us, for, day by day, with monstrous rapidity, the fungoid growth took hold of our poor bodies. Nothing we could do could check it materially, and so, and so, we who had been human became, well, it matters less each day. Only, only we had been man and maid. And day by day, the fight is more dreadful to withstand the hunger lust for the terrible lichen. A week ago, we ate the last of the biscuit, and since that time, I have caught three fish. I was out here fishing tonight when your schooner drifted upon me out of the mist. I hailed you. You know the rest, and may God, out of his great heart, bless you for your goodness to a, a couple of poor, outcast souls. There was the dip of an oar, another. Then the voice came again, and for the last time, sounding through the slight surrounding mist, ghostly and mournful. God bless you. Goodbye. Goodbye. We shouted together hoarsely, our hearts full of many emotions. I glanced about me. I became aware that the dawn was upon us. The sun flung a stray beam across the hidden sea, pierced the mist dully, and lit up the receding boat with a gloomy fire. Indistinctly, I saw something nodding between the oars. I thought of a sponge, a great, gray, nodding sponge. The oars continued to ply. They were gray, as was the boat, and my eyes searched a moment vainly for the conjunction of hand and oar. My gaze flashed back to the head. It nodded forward as the oars went backward for the stroke. The oars were dipped, the boat shot out of the patch of light, and the the thing went nodding into the mist. That was William Hope Hodgson's The Voice in the Night, as read by Brian Rollins. Brian Rollins is a voice actor residing in Denver, Colorado. He's voiced over a dozen audiobooks, including the popular Glenn and Tyler series. Horror fans will want to check out his narration of Ancient Enemies by Brian McKinley, a vampire political thriller. You can visit Brian at his website, thevoicesinmyhead.com, or find him on Twitter at Voices of Brian. Thank you, Brian.
Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Paul Belcher, Amanda Gottfried, and Kathy Robinson, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we set sail for dark water with more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 